Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Right, good evening everybody. Um, I'm Vicky from Wild Ginger Running and tonight I'm joined by Ali Bevan um, who is going to be talking to us about his book uh, which is fantastic and you can download that or buy that and have a good read um, and there's some amazing amazing stories in that book um, and we're going to go through with some of those tonight and um, if you've got questions hi John I can see John's online um, you can bob them in the comments box and we'll do our best to answer them um, and get to all of those throughout this evening uh, so Ali thank you very much for joining us and um, we'll just start off with a little bit about you um, how you got into running uh, when you were younger and sort of how it's all sort of grown. I know you're very uh, modest about your own achievements and quite self-deprecating about things. Justifiably so, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk through some of those as well. So um, Ali, if you tell us a little bit about growing up and how you got into the sport and things like that, that'd be a great starting point. Um, I mean, I, I only started running when I was a student, I think. So I, I, the first time I ever went for a run, I was probably 19. Right. Uh, I was living in Edinburgh, and I guess just by default, I was always hill running because I lived next to like Arthur's Seat and the Hermitage and and stuff. And Edinburgh is a pretty good city to be a hill runner or a trail runner in. And um, I don't know for whatever reason, the uh, thought of going out all day kind of appealed. So I did that. Went out and ran around in the Pentlands and all this sort of. All this sort of stuff. Who did you start off with? Were you on your own or with a club or? Um, no, God, I should have joined a club. Like, I often wonder how much better I would be if I joined, you know, the, the Edinburgh Uni Club or Carnethy when I was, you know, 20. Um, no, I was just on my own, really. Like, initially I went running with a few flatmates, but then um, my interest outlasted theirs. And so I was just, yeah, just going out on my own, I suppose. Um, I get. I suppose getting into hill running, like doing races and stuff. I, I met a guy, a guy called Graham Nash, who's best known for having done Ramsey's round like six times or something. Um, out in the Pentlands, and he just stopped to chat and asked if I was training for the Pentlands Skyline. Which, well, I, I asked him what that was, and it's it's a race that goes around most of the tops in the Pentlands and it was on the next weekend so I thought that sounded like a good reasonable thing to do and wow. um, yeah and then just and so on and so forth really was yeah. that one of your first kind of races then the Pentlands or not or um I'd done I'd done this thing called the Mighty Deer Stalker oh. which is in the borders um which is this sort of trail race obstacle course race before that was really a thing like the obstacles consist of they nailed planks across downhill mountain bike trails like that. <laughs> right, okay, that, that was the sort of level of finesse that was involved but I've done that a few times um and you know enjoyed it it's fun it's pretty hilly um but the, yeah the Pentland Skyline was my first proper hill race and I remember being very nervous showing up because it's um, it's an AL race, so L, long, A, lots of climbing. Did you have all the right kit or did you have to beg and I, borrow? I had all the right kit, but I didn't have all the right experience. Because, <laughs> you know, it says somewhere on Carnethy's website that you should have done, you know, two AL races before you enter, which is kind of circular. Yes. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And so I, you know, was kind of worried showing up at the Hill End Ski Slope to pay my five pound and get my race number i was concerned that they were going to ask me for so you know proof of relevant experience that wasn't going to be a liability um but they didn't so that was fine uh just yeah 
I went out too hard, blew up horrendously, didn't eat any of the food that I had in my rucksack. Uh, no. How long is it roughly? What sort of distance is that one? It's 20, oh, uh, 26 or 27 kilometres and two, two and a bit thousand metres of climbing, maybe. So it's a very ambitious first uh, race to sort of do. I think naive is probably a better word, but yeah. Were, were you hooked after that and then just went on to bigger things? or? Um, yeah, pretty much, I think. Um, I started looking around for, for other races to do. Uh, at some point, I landed on the Jura Fell Race website and was just blown away by the photos yeah, of people running on the patch. They just looked impossibly rough and and. It just looked amazing. And so I emailed the organizers to ask if I could enter because that was another one where you need to have the relevant experience, but where they actually check because there's maybe a bit more scope for things to go properly wrong. And so I signed up to do that. And this, well, now you couldn't do it because the race is way oversubscribed. It is absolutely amazing. So it's justifiably popular. So I had to go and do something else. Yeah. Right. Oh, good. So in terms of um, your achievements, um, what would you say your greatest achievement is in terms of long distance running? Because you've got a lot to your name. Um, uh, the bad weather record on Angelic, that's still <laughs> yours, isn't it? That is still yours. Fine. Uh, yeah, they, I, as far as I know, they've still only run the bad weather course once. Right. And there were 21 people in the race that year. And of those, I was fortunate enough to be the fastest excellent it must have been pretty bad though the weather must have been pretty grim up there do you know that race is cursed five years it's the second weekend in july and i don't know if they've ever had good weather for it it's it's a fundraiser for the mountain rescue right like you know registration and team cake afterwards is in the mountain rescue base in dundonald and on i think at least two occasions mountain rescue have had to go out and look for runners and actually rescue people who've been a away and all this. Wow. Um, but yeah, every year I'd give Ray Wilby 20 quid so that he doesn't put the bad weather route on. Yeah, so you can keep your record. I think that's a great idea. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, and um, the Cairngorm 4000 record you had for some time. I'm not sure uh, how long. This is stuff that I just found out about you and I've been researching. I've got loads of stuff to spill. <laughs> I mean, that... that your friend that, stole that, that one, didn't he? That really is the best thing I've done, actually. That's about my best my best run. I do have the distinction of being the um, sort of shortest serving of the Cairngorm 4000's record holders. You know, most people get to keep that record for a decade, 20 years, something like that. I had it for a little over a year. And then Finlay Wilde <laughs> stole it from you, didn't he? And the fact that it, it was broken by Finlay is something I'm almost as proud of as the fact that I had it in the first place. Like, if you're going to lose it to anyone. I just popped a picture of Finlay up there. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you don't, you don't really mind, do you, when you uh, lose out to certain people? <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot you can do about it. No. Um, so, I know you say you've done quite a lot of the, the big rounds, or attempted some of the big rounds, and you, you say you just have bad luck or bad planning or a bit of everything. What do you think? I know... <laughs> I was reading about it, it's like, oh, I failed the Paddy Buckley rounds and I failed the Bob Graham rounds. And it's not failure, failure, is it? You've not done it in the time that you wanted or things have gone wrong, but it's still, you know, it's an achievement. No, it's failure, failure. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, the, both of those attempts were in December. Oh, right. Oh, right. So if you were to write a manual for how to succeed on the big rounds, you probably wouldn't put that in there. And the Bob Graham, I, I got right. I got back to Keswick in yeah. under 24 hours. Um, but I missed the top of Sergeant Man. Ah, no. Because, I mean, it's the Lake District. They put cairns on everything, so I found this cairn, and I was like, right, that's the... Anyway, everyone talks about the tops you missed. They don't talk about the ones you added. All the ones, yeah, all the ones that you didn't, all the extra ones oh, that you did. Well, I think I did at least one bonus Langdale Pike. Yeah. Um, Will you go back and um, do both of those again, do you think? Especially after this year with... Um, watching being inspired by other people and things like that are they two that you'd like to go back to um i mean the 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 bob graham thing for all that it was unequivocally a failure um still one of the most uh 
one of the most meaningful things I've done, I suppose. Like I was on my own. I didn't have any support. Right, wow. Um, I hadn't been on quite a lot of the route before. I didn't, I'd like, I hadn't wrecked it or anything. I just right, wow. drove down to Keswick, had a cup of tea in a cafe, and then and then went off. And navigated your way around a little. Yeah, it was, it was dark for 16 hours. Wow. Um, and all the rest of it. And so that was being out on your own for that long. I find quite a quite a satisfying thing. I'd, I'd I'd beat the drum all day for doing things in that sort of style. I think the more um, the more you're relying on yourself, the more you're going to get out of it. Yeah, that's true. It, Which is not to say that it's wrong to go with all your club mates and like yeah. mosey around on the shortest day of the year, but um, I sometimes feel like if that's all you ever do, then maybe you're missing out on this yeah. this thing. If you like um, to make things difficult for yourself, that that's definitely a way to make it hard, isn't it? On your own and December as well. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I'd like you to go back. Around in summer, couldn't you? No problem. But uh, you like to make it a bit more challenging. There's there's stuff I'd like to do in the lakes. I'd like to go and do um, Eric Beard's 24 hour record route, which would count as a Bob Graham because it's got all the tops in it, but it's also got uh, eleven more. Right, wow. He, he was a guy, he, he ran it in 1963. He's a guy I'm sort of slightly obsessed with. There's a picture of him on the fridge Is just it? over there. Um, he did all sorts of stuff. He also had the Cairngorm 4000s record, the Coolin Ridge record, right. um, all these sorts of things. So I think that would be a really cool thing to go and do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and yeah, the, the Paddy Buckley, again, in December with my friend Andy Berry, who is right now running the Steve Parr round, actually, in the lake. Um, and it, that was a less interesting failure actually we got three or four legs in and it just sort of fizzled out right i got really cold he was really knackered and if you just, no support as well you can't warm up as easily and things like that can you it's more difficult yeah, to... we just sort of decided that being up in the, in the state we were in in december probably wasn't no. wasn't witty so we had a nice walk of shame back down to the road <laughs> um, well, lots to uh, lots to look at for the future, definitely, and uh, things to make life difficult and rounds to go into yourself. And um, moving on to your book a little bit now. Um, so this is your first book. You write anyway, don't you? I know you've ri you've written quite a lot for Fast Running and various articles and things like that. Um, and you have a very humorous style. Um, I do enjoy your style of writing. It's quite self-deprecating. You've got a little bit of fruity language in there as well, which we all like. <laughs> Um, so why did you decide to write this book? <laughs> uh, I, I really wish I had a sort of better book origin story. Like, it, I, I, you know, I should have been up a hill at sunrise and decided that I wanted to share the joy of running with the world. But actually, uh, my friend Kirsty Reed, who works for Vertebrate, the publisher, uh, texted me and asked if I wanted to write a book wow. <laughs> so, so I said yes she knew that I'd been spending quite a lot of my time watching people's GPS trackers and and had time on my hands because I wasn't at work um, and so she thought that there was probably a book in all the stuff that was going on and I guess the, the a lot of rounds weren't you you were out supporting lots of people on different things so yes yeah, that was that was the thing that kind of convinced me it was a viable idea because I thought that writing just an almanac would be a bit dry, you know, just a list of who did what and when. Um, and I think that, so I was, I was out with Donnie Campbell and his Monroe Round and Dan Lawson on Land's End John O'Groats, relatively briefly, um, a few other people. And I guess taking Land's End John O'Groats as an example, the because of the scale of it yeah. most of the writing that you see about that is from this very zoomed out perspective understandably like if it's just a, a news article then it's you know 800 and something miles 10 days there's only there's only so much fine detail you can go into so i thought that writing about that stuff from a fairly nitty-gritty first person perspective would maybe be a little different, yeah. a little more insight into the sort of nuts and bolts of how those things actually actually work. Because yeah. I think for most people, you hear that someone ran for 10 days, 
it, yeah. It doesn't mean anything, does it? I was out with um, a lady last night and she was just saying that her husband had been out walking that day. She went, oh, and he's done 11 Wainwrights and he's really chuffed with himself. And I said, oh, have you seen um, Serena? <laughs> and she went, so how long did that take then? And I said, you know, just under six days. And she went, oh, he's rubbish then, isn't he? And <laughs> she was sort of like, I was like, well, no, he's not rubbish, but this is something on a different level. <laughs> Um, and as you said, unless you write about all the detail in it, for people who've not been involved in those sort of rounds, it's very, very difficult to understand the level of planning, the level of support um, and everything else that's involved in it, isn't it? And the people who are good at that sort of stuff, you know, like on the Wainwrights or the Land's End, John Goats or whatever, I think for, unless you've seen it firsthand or maybe tried to do it yourself, it's really difficult to understand just how much those people are capable of putting themselves through yeah. you know you, you, you watch a gps tracker and it's just moving along quite slowly you don't really get a, a grasp of the substance of that it's um yeah it's something i'm always in awe of yeah. people like people like dan sabrina whoever yeah it's um i think it's it is it's um it's very hard to understand i think that's what i liked about your book is that you do bring to life the the really crappy bits of taking part in things like that and um, and it is it, you know i i think i i used to do a few ultras but i never did over 50 miles because after four or five hours i kind of had enough and i get to eight hours i'm like right i want to stop i'm done now and to carry that on on mountains and hills for six days without sleeping more than you know sort of eight hours in the whole um, yeah. time it's just it's mind-blowing i can't as a runner myself, I can't comprehend it. It's really, really hard to think about, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, very difficult to put yourself in that situation of wanting to do it. So um, the, the question that people kind of want to know is, which is the most impressive uh, record? And it's not, and it's not one you can answer and say, oh, this was it, this was it. Um, but in terms of you writing your book, which chapters and which people or which bits from different chaps and different people did you particularly enjoy or particularly like? Whoa! Oh, oh you've 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 changed the question. Oh, the sorry, end I'll go back. Which was the bit? Sorry. Good, that's fine. That's impressive? fine. Let's stick with that. Okay. People ask me what the most impressive records are all the time, and I try and like cycle through them. Yeah, what is each interview different, different person? I've I've lost track of where I am. So, <laughs> um, in terms of things being favourites. I think that a lot of the most impressive runs sometimes don't actually get the credit they deserve. Mm -hmm. So if you look at uh, what's a good example of that. So Ken Collison and James Stewart uh, came in the last three years, has broken the winter Bob Graham record, the Lakeland 24 hour record. And he broke the Paddy Buckley record this year. James, did the John Muir Way last year, the Fife Coast Path this year. And they're, they're both just so consistent. Yeah. And, the, and I, they're really good. James yeah, is yeah. like fixture of the GB 24-hour squad, all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, you see that they're setting out to do something and you think, well, yeah, they're going to get it. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, like it's, it's Kim. He's fit. He's, yeah, he's, he's, amazing, he's done he? his homework. Same with James. Um, and so you, you maybe find yourself jumping up and down less when they merit quite a lot of jumping. Yeah, because um, you're used to seeing it, aren't you? You're used to reading about their successes and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just sort of you expect it, don't you? Almost. Yeah, to it. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I do have favourites. Um, there are a few records last year in the Cairngorms that I was. Um, delighted by the women's record for the 4000s had been sitting there since the 80s sometime and no disrespect to Kath Butler it was pretty soft and yeah. that was broken twice last year after you know 30 something years so that was cool who broke uh, that one sorry can you just I've not got his down who broke, who broke the the Kangol 4000 one? Oh, um, Katie Henderson and Caroline Marwick right um, Katie is from D-side, Caroline Marwick runs for Highland Hill Runners, as all the right. best people do. Yeah. Um, and then 
Actually, uh, Sasha Shepelin yeah. broke the 24-hour Monroe record last year, which is, you know, really impressive in and of itself. But he was 23 at the time, and his whole support crew, it was it was a joint attempt initially with Ali Masson, but they had all their pals supporting them. And I think all of them were 23 or younger. Oh. And all of them, like, shit hot hill runners. Right. Like, racers in your sort of traditional shorter distance yeah, yeah. and so to see like a group of guys like that getting their teeth into some of the long distance stuff so early and succeeding yeah. is is really exciting it's those really guys exciting isn't it yeah the how child friendly does this have to be by the way what's the time oh. 10 to 7 <laughs> <Love> <laughs> the rest of us look silly for the next 15 years if they want to yeah uh, and, you know, sometimes the long distance stuff can feel like it's the preserve of the crusty old dudes. So yeah. having, having a bit It's really exciting that younger people are looking at these rounds and going, oh, do you know what? I could try that. Because it, it, in, in history, it has been the older generation who tend to do these things because you want the experience, you want, um, you know, your support crew and things like that. So it is, it's very exciting when a lot of younger people are coming through. Um, and going out and doing things like this it is it's a it's a great time to be looking at records and things like that yeah so yeah hopefully they'll keep doing stuff yeah. and i can keep writing books about it well that's what i just said um one of the guys has just come on and said that um um it records are just being smashed everywhere it's really hard to keep up it seems like every week uh, there's a new record broken um, and i just said yeah i just said to ali he needs to write another book <laughs> you're gonna have version two you're gonna have to do one every year now it seems oh, that'd be all right yeah, yeah that's it. and um george has just come on and said that he's planning to run uh 100k 100k next week with almost no training just a few 10 to 20k runs am i crazy Ah, you'll manage, George. <laughs> does stuff like that. It'll we it'll be a good story. Things haven't we? You just you just get through it, don't you? You just get through it. Um. So, uh, I was just going through some bits and bobs here. Uh. So, other chapters from your book. Um. I was trying to work out which people you've supported yourself on rounds. If you got, can you tell us in your book which were the people you actually supported, or have you supported all of the people in the chapters in your book? I was trying to figure that one out. Okay. Luckily, I've got a copy of it here, so I can tell you. I've got a list of the chaps if you need some help. <laughs> um, oh, my friend Ian Stewart. Yeah. I was out with him. Uh, the two, the two, two Stewarts. Yeah, yeah. The, two the one. And then Donnie and um, Donnie and Dan and somebody else. This is this is bad, isn't it? No, uh, oh, John, John Kelly. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, John, uh, I was at John and his his grand round thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the other people, the chapters for people that you didn't actually support. How did you um go about sort of writing that? Did you set up quite a lot of interviews with the people who've done these rounds and find out information from them directly? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know if I'd go so far as to call them interviews. I phoned them up. Yeah. And 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 talk to them, and um, now most of these people have got quite interesting things to say, which is good. Yeah. Saves things, saves things being too dry. And I I would have liked to get out with more people, support more people. Like my friends who live in the lakes, I'm always really envious of because they're out on Bob Graham or Wainwright's support every weekend, every, every day, every day. Yeah, um, but you know it's whatever it is six hours from here to the lakes yeah, it's a long way. And, and not as many people come try and do things near my house no, no. which is inconsiderate of them it is we need to get quite a lot of people up to uh granton on spay getting some records done for the cairngorms yeah. definitely i mean that would involve them i don't know going running in the cromdales you're which not is a fan are you <laughs> not something i would wish on anyone they're all is it the heather is it just heather and peat bogs all the time yeah like I remember last year, do you remember we had six weeks, pretty much, of sunshine? Yeah, like, yeah lockdown was beautiful, March, April, May. It was, you know, hot for hot year. It was 20-something degrees most days. Yeah. And, like, towards the end of that, I went for a run in the Cromdales, and I was up to my knees in bog on the tops of the hills. It's like water doesn't flow downhill. No, why is it there? It's oh. just not good, is it? 
it's like it's got its own physical laws, which are all designed to make sure that it's a shitty experience for anyone who goes around there. That's what I like in your book, and that's what I like um, in your articles on fast running. That it's like, oh yeah, everyone says go to Aviemore, go and run in the hills on Aviemore. It's amazing, and you're like, it's it's not, it's crap. <laughs> Don't come and run from on the Cromdales. And you look at the hills in the distance, and you're like, yeah, I want to get to there, but you can't <laughs> because you've got this really horrible um, bit of running here as well. And that's what I like about the book is that you, you tell the bad bits because everyone who's on here watching, people who watch this after runnings it's good but it's also really bad isn't it and and you know people who start running and they've got that sort of joy of it for a while and then they start to move on to other things and, and you choose your level that you're comfortable at and when you're doing sort of long runs and you're up in the mountains and stuff there's there's days and bits of days that are pretty pretty grim really um and it, i like that you put that in the book and that you um, share that as well one of the things I wanted to ask you was, um, what did you leave out the book? What did you not cover? Um, are there any things that you left out that you think, ah, oh, I wish I'd have put that in, or um, I didn't get round to covering that one? Uh, loads. Yeah. Loads, yeah. Um, I mean, I had a fairly... <laughs> well, I was going to say I had a fairly tight deadline for writing it. Um, I thought I did, and then I missed the deadline, and the world didn't end, so obviously it wasn't that tight. But... Um, I, I had to sort of cut it off at the end of Donnie Campbell's Monroe round, which was just the very start of September. Right, right. And obviously loads of interesting stuff happened after that. After that. Yeah. Like there was Carol Morgan's 24-hour record in the lakes. There was George Foster's uh, Bob Graham. Loads of stuff. And then there were a few things, like I spoke to, I already mentioned Sasha Shepplin and, and Kim Collison, who had the two 24-hour records. Um, I just couldn't quite make it work. Like it didn't feel like I was choosing to leave them out at yeah. all. It was just that there was they felt a bit redundant with other chapters that would have been looking at similar things. There was already some stuff from the Lake District and some stuff from the Cairngorms, so there was overlap there. Um, yeah. I should tag Vertebrae Publishing because someone's just said, yeah, there's plenty of material for book two then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I tell you what, actually, is this is this a bad thing? It probably is a bad thing. If I could go back, mm -hmm. I think I would have a, have a chapter about those guys. Yeah. And I would take out the chapter about the Wainwright. Yes. For a couple of reasons. I don't know if I ever quite got it nailed down and did it justice because it was like Sabrina's run last year there, it was a whole debacle it was so dramatic during the thing and then after the thing and there was like the first attempt where she got told to go home by the police yeah. and like it's it's bizarre wasn't it yeah and I don't know if I ever quite conveyed how incredible that various stuff was but then when I was speaking to Sabrina, the, the the note that the chapter initially ended on yeah. was her saying that she felt a bit bad because she kind of ruined it. Yeah. And now she suspected that the first woman to do the Wainwrights wouldn't get the credit they deserved. And so she was going to go back and do it again and do it better. Yeah. And that's that's cool. That's fine. But then just before I submitted the manuscript for the book, Mel Stevenson went out and did all the Wainwrights and Sabrina's prediction was entirely correct because comparatively nobody cared. Like she got a fraction of the attention that Sabrina got when she did it. And it was just a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Having you that. feel sorry for the people who haven't got the, the recognition, don't you? It's uh it's it's tricky, isn't it? Whereas writing a book this year, now with, with Sabrina finally getting it finished, that would be that would be a much a much better story, I suppose. Yeah, well, I've just flashed up here. So, you know, the BBC News uh, from five hours ago uh, on the BBC News website showing, you know, uh, uh, Sabrina Verge on record run across uh, the Cumbrian Wainwrights. You know, when you're, you're in the BBC, it's... <laughs> and I, I, um, I, I, I know Sabrina to talk to. I don't know particularly well. I've, I wasn't that involved or invested in, in that no. round. But I, I still, when she finished, I just felt relieved. 
Because yeah. like after last year's mess and then this and year, then the first attempt, in, so unequivocally shut down by the weather. Yeah, yeah. Like if it hadn't worked out this time, you'd you'd be thinking she was cursed. Yeah, yeah. We're really starting to feel for her, and then when she set off, um, yeah. I've I've only met her once uh, when we were in the lakes doing some sock testing. And uh, yeah, she's great. She's very uh, sort of modest and very she, she's lovely. And it, I'm I'm really chuffed that she's got it ticked off, <laughs> almost like that done after you know third attempt, really, isn't it? It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of hours to yeah, sort of training, planning, everything, really, isn't it? It's uh, oh, what I've done there. Um, training, planning, and everything. It's uh, it's tricky, isn't it? Um, so some of the things that we popped on to ask you were, um, sorry. Where's it gone? Um, um, they were strange one actually. I'll kind of, it's, I'll come back to some others. Um, the worst running moments of your life. I didn't realise I put that one on there. This would be an interesting one. Your personal life, the worst running moments that you've had. You could have written these in your book as well. See, I think a chapter about you would have been quite nice, but I know that's not really your style, is it? Um, I mean, I've had some horrible races. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything that stands out. I mean, the worst bits have been bad because they've been prolonged, yeah. right? So it's not not so much a moment. Um, like I did a race in in the Basque Country a couple of years ago, which was a hundred miles, and I didn't feel right from the start. And about three hours in, I was just sore all over. I still don't really know why, and so I pretty much walked 80 miles. So, see, uh, that's, that's all right for the guy who's doing 100k next week. Uh, George, you'll be all right. You can just walk some. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just each aid station or whatever. Break it up however you like, yeah. however you can. Yeah. So that's pretty grim. Um, I mean, mo I mean, most of these have been situations of my own making. Yeah. You know. Like you go out too hard and then you have a horrible time in the second half or or whatever it might be. I don't think I've ever like I've never had serious injuries. I've never like I did get very sick once after a race in Andorra. I think I drank something funny, drank from the wrong stream or something, but by that point I was fortunately like back in a hotel. Yeah. If that had if that had come on a little sooner, that might have been unpleasant. But um <clears throat> I had a horrible time at the Om, actually. Oh. <laughs> the marathon. My friend Charlie Sprosen convinced me to do it um, against my better judgment. Do because the summer it, one. It's far nicer. The Om light is beautiful. Yeah, I can set, <laughs> set up to be miserable. Yeah. But I went, I went in with this ankle thing that was a thing, but not quite serious okay. enough to cool. stop me from doing it. But it was in Galloway. Right. And yeah. Galloway is like... I know Galloway. Bromdale's, but worse. I was just, it's, I was just gonna say that it's just Heather City, isn't it? Yeah. Was yeah, it where Merrick and uh, Merrick Hill and places like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we walked the entirety of the second half of the first day because I fell down this hole and like hyperextended my bad ankle. Oh no. Um, but you know, even then, silver lining, we had the um, the clarity to just um, drop out. Rather than spending fourteen hours of uncomfortable pillow talk in a tiny tent, we just yeah. went to the pub, yeah. which was quite quite pleasant. Better way to well, do it. We felt pretty smug. Everyone else like spooning in their Terranova lasers, and we were just having Drinks a meal. <laughs> Happy days. Yeah. Um, one of the things I found out about you, Ali, that I'm going to share. You know, I'm going to say this because this was this was my highlight. The book's great, but this is even better. Yeah, so, I know where um, uh, you might not know this at home, but Ali actually has a two twelve marathon PB. Okay, you think Elliot Kipchoge's good? This guy's on another level. But there is something to add here. Um, so Ali's um, marathon PB came on rollerblades. Now, as a as a roller skater and ice skater myself, this made my day. <laughs> So it's Ali's favourite picture of himself. He's going to use it as his. I've just put it, put it up there for you. <laughs> Who took that? Did you say? Uh, John. John. Uh, John, <laughs> John Kelly. Kelly. He, was out. he was. He was running the marathon because he's a, an idiot. Yeah, and you were roller skating it. I was doing it on rollerblades. 
so yeah, this was Berlin Marathon, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you did it twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if anybody wants something different to do, uh, rollerblade in Berlin Marathon is apparently the way to do it. That's apparently the uh, the best way to do it and the most fun. <laughs> I mean, as much as I did it for, you know, a bit of a laugh and it's a hoot and a giggle, it like it is seriously the best way to do the Berlin Marathon. It's on the it's on the Saturdays, the day before. Right. The course is, uh, I think, slightly different in one or two places, like to avoid tram lines or something right, yeah. that would cause all sorts of carnage. So you still get the same like tour of this European city. It's like snooker table flat. Um, but the the skating marathon. Well, the, the running marathon starts at eight in the morning. Right. So all the marathon runners are getting up at four to eat whatever gruel passes for breakfast. Yeah. Um, and then like standing around shivering in a bin bag before the start with 40,000 other people. Yeah. The skating marathon starts at three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, nice. So you can sleep in. Like, see. Go to like some really trendy modern art gallery, have like a boozy lunch somewhere, wander over to the Brandenburg Gate. Um, it's 5,000 people, so it's still a lot of people, but there's uh, a lot less competition for Portaloos than yeah. there is at the running marathon. Um, it's just more fun. Like, the actual activity is more fun, yeah. and it beats you up a lot less. I think we need a uh, wild ginger running trip organised to a Berlin roller skating, rollerblading marathon, definitely. It's a, it's a shame that you couldn't, you couldn't really have it anywhere in the UK because, like, no. the road... The road isn't good enough, no, which, is, which is a shame. Um, I, I, I should make it clear, by the way, that 212 is crap. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's nothing to, to brag about. The course record there is um, 56.49. Wow. So they're skating at 50 kilometers an hour. Wow. They're really quick. So, yeah. You don't want to fall. <laughs> uh, no. No, I imagine you get some pretty impressive road rash. Wow. There you go. So, yeah, that's... Uh, so, when I asked you about, you know, greatest achievements, I think that's a pretty good one, actually. I think that's a oh, great yeah. one to have. Not running, but, you know, still as good. They um, do publish, by the way, results. Okay. Uh, you've done both. Right. Which intrigues me, but not enough to go and run the Berlin Marathon. It tends to be people who are pretty shit hot on skates so they're just over an hour. Yeah. And um, people who are like just maybe around three hours a little under the next day. Right. So um, I think that's, I, th I think someone who was, you know, a 230 club runner. Yeah. Spent just a little while getting to grips with the rollerblades could go out and, and do pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Tempting. <laughs> um, one, going back to the book a little bit, how long did it take to write the book? Um, I know you were talking about deadlines and things, but, and, how did you actually go about it? Were you sat at your computer a lot or did you find was, time to like doing it? How did you go about it? I was sat at my computer a lot, which doesn't mean that I was writing a lot. Um, I went about it very poorly. Right. So I, I, um, I first spoke to Kirsty about it sometime in July, yeah. mid or late July. And then there was a, I signed a contract, which is the most grown-up thing I've done in my life, I think. Um, sometime in early August. Yeah. And, you know, they were saying it would be great if we could have it out in time for Christmas, because, you know. Presents, yeah. Um, and, you know, in an ideal world, that would mean we'd have a finished manuscript at the end of August. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, tight, tight. That is a tight deadline, isn't it? That's a really tight deadline. It is. I mean, that's the one that flew right by. I, yeah. I, I missed that completely. Uh, I think I got it handed in by the end of September. So the whole process was about seven weeks. Wow. And I've no frame of reference because um, I've only ever written one book. Yeah. But apparently that's not very long. No. But it was, it was kind of necessary to do that that way because it's a very... I mean, the year is on the cover of the book, right? It's it's of its time. I suppose things are changing so quickly as well, aren't they? Especially last year, you kind of got to do it, get it published before things change again, and it's sort yeah. of out. Yeah. 
Um, I think if I was to do it again, um, I'd like to think I'd be a little more organised. I'd right. work a little more efficiently. I probably wouldn't. No. <laughs> Just I, I, I can't actually remember ever sitting down and writing. So I don't know where the words actually came from. They just sort of congealed over the period of a month and a half um, from like fragments that I must have typed sometime. I'm not very, yeah, I, it reminded me of being a student yeah. and my sort of working practices that I developed there, which involved lots of scraps of paper with lots of scraps of thoughts written on them. And then suddenly having deadlines that you have to hit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which, um, and and if it wasn't for those deadlines, I'd still be writing. Yeah. No. I, I, it was yeah, it was very useful to have. I was about to have, have someone breathing down your neck. There was none of that, but you know, have a sort of end date when you had to have, have stuff finished. Yeah. One of the other things in the book um, that I particularly liked is your chapters about um, uh, support crew. Um, and the people that you acknowledge in the book. Um, I think you talk about um, Dan Lawson's wife and Ian Stewart's wife and Nikki, is it Ligo? Ligo? Yeah, yeah, Ligo. Ligo. Yeah. Um, and about their role in actually helping so much on these uh, fastest known times, these records that were broken last year. Um, because they are part of the record, aren't they? Very much so. Um, oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think their role is overlooked as well, isn't it? So could you just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what you say in the book and your views of uh, the sort of support network that these runners have in order to produce these fastest known times as well? Um, yeah, I mean, a few people, it, it, it really stands out, the difference. I mean, obviously, they've only done it once. They've never done it with a shitty crew, so we don't really have a control group. But you assume that having the right people there was was really pivotal for them and like Dan Lawson it wasn't just his wife it's uh Robbie Britton who's his coach and was sort of the mastermind of the route and all this all this stuff um and the humor for the trip I'm quite sure Robbie <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if it would always have been appreciated but yeah um, <laughs> still be trying. um oh oh no I can't remember Mitch's surname Nick Seymour, I might have just made that up, who's been like a a, a crewing fixture for the GB Ultra squad for years. So he knows Dan really well. He's worked with him in that sort of environment a lot. And Dan speaks of them in, in absolutely glowing terms, which is what he's like. I mean, he'd probably speak about them in those terms, even if they were horrible. Yeah. And actually being horrible is, is part of their job sometimes sometimes carrot sometimes stick and yeah. um, and so because they know him so well they know how hard they can push him yeah. productively and when when it stops being productive how to fix it yeah when he needs to sleep when he needs to eat when he needs to just get on with it so for people who, who don't know much about it in terms of on these long distance attempts, what do support crews actually do? Because I think unless you've seen it in action, it's quite hard yeah. to actually yeah. understand, isn't it? I mean, everything, pretty much. Like Dan in particular is not a detail guy. Like he does all these incredible things. There's people who will show up to like a six day race, yeah, like a six day track race, which is the sort of thing that Dan does. And they will have like lap splits for six days. And... Dan does not do that. Apparently, you start talking to him about calories per hour or, or kilometers an hour or whatever, and you can just see him glazing over. He just isn't interested. And so for him, he just wants to run, just wants to get into his happy place and shuffle up the side of some dual carriageway yeah. for, the whole, for the whole day. And so his crew are feeding him. They're arranging where they're going to be that night. Um. On something like Land's End to John O'Groats, they're probably also like messaging people who are going to come out and run with him because Robbie did a lot of it with him on the bike, but he can't do all of it. Yeah. So organising that kind of thing, running off, getting his food, just uh, everything. Footcare as well, sorting <laughs> yeah. out feet, drying feet off, changing shoes, socks. <clears throat> There's a really good uh, video of... Um, when he got to Abbey Moore, one of the things Robbie asked me to do was to find someone 
uh, who would let Dan have a bath in their house. Oh, no way. So, and I, I succeeded. My friend uh, Martin Bell was like, yeah, sure, this guy I've never met can come and have a bath in my house at half past ten at night. That's totally fine. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a video of Mick Seymour carrying Dan downstairs it's after he's been in that because he's so knackered. And he's just like, fortunately, Dan's a pretty a pretty small guy. Yeah. <clears throat> and Nikki Ligo is an interesting case, actually, because the other two people you mentioned there were um, like Laura McCauley and uh, Charlotte, Dan's wife. And, you know, spouses and family members. Yeah. You can kind of understand that they are not obliged, but well, whatever. Long suffering, aren't you? It's one of those things, isn't it? And, and Nikki rocks up and does this stuff for people that she, not necessarily people she barely knows, but, you know, people who aren't family mm. and who are doing these things that are multiple days long. She always says she works at the Spine Rate. Yeah, I was just reading about her um, the other day, actually, just to mm-hmm. have a look at something. And yeah, it sounds like she, she's pretty amazing with what she does. Yeah, and like she gets less sleep than the runners do. Yeah. On John's Pen and Wade record last year, she, she slept less than John. <laughs> and John didn't sleep very much. Wow. And she just... I don't know. She loves it. Like she's 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 kind of a fan yeah. in a lot of ways. Like she's she's very impressed by what people do. Do and I think that she feels uh, lucky, privileged to be asked by people to be a part of something that means so much to them. Yeah. And I think that's that might be, you know, a lot of the people who run Bob Graham support all the time. You know they're they're Cumbrians. They probably wouldn't put it in those terms. <laughs> it's a bit too gushy, right? Yeah. But I think I think that's that's a big part of it. You know, like someone's Bob Graham can be the best day of their life, yeah. and so just asking to be involved is 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 a great a great thing. Yeah, it's quite reflective of the running community as well, isn't it? That people will give up time to help other people and to help train other people and help them navigate and look after them yeah. and. Uh, it's why it's very different to road running, I think, isn't it? It's a totally different ball game, um, being out on the fells and things, and the support that you get from people, it, it's totally different, isn't it? And I guess there's a bit of a quid pro quo thing going on. Like, people go out and support people on Bob Graham's, and then when it's their turn, yeah, um, people show up to help them out. And um, actually, Joe Meek, yeah, okay. who was on, on the cover of the book, ran the Dartmoor round last year, she was really reluctant to ask people to come out and help. Why? She felt like, well, she felt like she was imposing and, yeah. you know, a lot of them are, um, a lot of her support group are farmers, I think. So she was, you know, conscious that she was taking them away from work and stuff. Yeah. And so she, you know, really tentatively go and ask people and, you know, in quite an apologetic way. And they're like, no, it's, it's all right. Like, I like running. That's, you're asking me to come out and do the thing that I like doing. Yeah. Not a burden. It's yeah. not an imposition. Like, but yeah, cool. I'm carrying a couple of extra sandwiches. That's fine. I don't know much about the Dartmoor round. How long, roughly, is that? I don't know an awful lot about it. I neither did many people uh, until last year. It had only had oh, five completions, oh, I think. Right. And, uh, Joe's record was sixteen. 40 something right. so it's that sort of that sort of scale yeah yeah um, she's a phenomenal um ultra runner isn't she she's uh she's got weeds she's done a bunch of stuff already this year as well some race records and some shorter records on dartmoor yeah um she did she i think she had this um marathon lined up that never happened so she had this block of really hard training and then has like unleashed it all on this other stuff oh. <laughs> she's, she's a class act uh, but the, the Dharma round actually has pretty interesting origins. There was a guy uh, called Nigel Jenkins who did it. Um, I mean, if you thought my attempts at the Bob Raymond stuff were bad, he tried to do it on the 31st of December 1999. Wow. It was a way of marking the new year. In horrendous weather. Some of his descriptions of crossing the rivers on Dartmoor, wow. which are notorious, like yeah. people die in those rivers yeah. pretty regularly, are just terrifying. Like, I think if you showed them to people who specialise in whitewater safety, they would probably be appalled. Just horrendous weather, and like made it back to the pub in in time for in time for last orders. Got most of the way through his pint of Guinness and fell asleep. Apparently, <laughs> uh, 
but it's 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 great one of the one of the reasons joe wanted to do the round was mm-hmm. to kind of show people that there's cool running in the southwest yeah yeah, yeah. most people got, don't uh, really see that as an area for decent running do they you think no. lakes scotland and that's wales that's pretty much as far yeah. as people tend to go isn't it really yeah exactly. and so she like she'd got together all this this crew of all the big names of um southwest trail running like all the people who'd done the round before i were there and... she based she's not southern at all is she she's yeah, yeah she stays she's uh, that's why she ended up doing it so she was um off work and all the usual stuff and all the races were cancelled and she was injured right she did a load of these like um backpacking fast packing trips across right. across dartmoor i think she does she live in devon but she's from cornwall Maybe, maybe the other way around. Right, right. I remember something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's like her local. Right. Oh, I didn't realise that. I thought I'd, somewhere else. I've got the wrong place in my head. <laughs> so, why why are you so interested in uh, fastest known times? Then that's the other thing that we wanted to ask. Uh, well, uh, a train spotter, maybe. <laughs> so it is. is it the is it the nerd of uh, running that's coming out? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like. I, I like hill running. I've always enjoyed reading about it. There's something about the the really long stuff that is quite interesting. Not all the records are really long, but um, a, a lot of them have a lot of history. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and how it used to be done as well, and then the advancements in shoes, clothing, and everything else brings it to a different level, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people talk about you know the the advantages that runners have now that they didn't have whenever when Joss Naylor was doing stuff or when Martin Stone was knocking about um in the late 80s I mean he's still very much knocking about but he's not knocking as far um and you know the kit is better like race vests are better than you know the canvas rucksacks that people might have been using back then but I think the understanding of how this those efforts on that scale should be done has improved a lot because if you look at the late 24 hour record for example the, the last all the people who've broken it since joss naylor none of them would get close to joss naylor at the Enerdale horseshoe for example like as as physical specimens they are less good than he was which is in no way a, a negative thing to say um but you look at their splits for these things and Joss Naylor and all his contemporaries approach these things the same way they approached a fell race. Like you went out really hard and you're gone. And kept going hard. (laughs) Right, Mark Hartel? Was it Mark Dermot or Hartel? Whoever was first to break Naylor's record, at halfway, they were about an hour behind Joss Naylor's splits. But they just just kept going. The, 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 um, The Eric Beard record that I've mentioned earlier um his leg his first leg from keswick to threlkel pretty much bg leg one but with the addition of skid or little man he did it in 221 which is a minute slower than george foster did on his 1344 bob graham right. wow. so he went out really? fast. Yeah. Yeah. unbelievably fast but then between there and the end he spent almost two hours sitting in chairs right like he just he just you know, stop for a sandwich because you've got to eat your honey sandwiches sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And and when Kim Collison broke that record last year, he stopped twice to take the stones out of his shoes. Right, gosh. And she was it like less than five minutes total right. stopping. And so just the understanding of how to measure an effort, the logistics of of making things a bit slick, it's probably a pretty big difference. Yeah, it's it's good how it, I think. The last year, every, everyone seems to become more interested in the records that have been broken and stuff like that. There has, you know, a lot of people are talking about it. There's a lot more awareness of the records that are out there. And I think a lot more people are inspired. Um, having time or, um, you know, not being working and things like that, they've, they've had a lot more time to get out when you're allowed and um, look at things like that and set challenges as well. And I think for a lot of people, it helped keep them focused um, on running as well. Because I think I, I found running a challenge last year um, and I think setting a challenge, something like that, means you have to go out, you have to do it, you have to keep your hours up and stuff like that. Um, 
So I suppose we'll start to round things up and um, do you have a favourite chapter in your book then? Doesn't have to be the best record, you can you can get out of it this way, you're not saying to someone, you know, you're not um, downgrading anybody's record, but in terms of your favourite chapter, which one do you think is your, your favourite chapter? Well, um, sorry, I, I don't need to look, the last one, yeah. uh, Steve, Stephen Poulton. Yeah. Um, I might get some of these details wrong, because if not read the book in a while obviously. I, I won't know I, 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 listen, I think I just just finished that one the other night actually okay. so Stephen Portland in uh, 19 oh 1980 it was between 83 wasn't it it was 83 or 82 it was between 81 and 83 because it wasn't far off when I was born that's what I was thinking when I was listening to it <laughs> so about 40 years ago yeah <laughs> Portland set the record for the National Three Peaks by bike. Yeah. So from not Conway, wherever, somewhere at sea level in yeah. Wales. Yeah. Cycle the Snowden, run up and down, cycle the scaffold bike, and a little, little, little finish at sea level again at Fort William. Yeah. Um, and then last year he he did the trip again. He is now I think he was 73 years old. Wow. And he did it, he cycled to the start. <laughs> which was a two-day trip from his house wow <laughs> and then he did set off did that and he was on his own like last the first time he had the van and the racing yeah. bike and all this stuff this time he was just doing it as a, a cycle tour wow. sleeping in in ditches yeah being in public toilets he, he um he, <laughs> he sent uh someone a brilliant message talking about his delight at finding the public toilets in glencoe because you know you pay fifty p to get in and it's warm and you've got <laughs> and all this stuff. He's got this like uh, square of foam to put under his hip. That's oh, his mattress. And I, I just I loved it. Yeah. Just the, um... It's simple and brutal, that isn't it? Both together, yeah. that is. But you, it's you've got this you know window in your life where you're going to be at your at your best for breaking records and doing things yeah, fast yeah. and once that's gone like i just find it uh maybe maybe comforting to to think that you can still be involved in this sort of stuff yeah in different ways like there are there are different ways to be engaged with like really long journeys on foot on bike absolutely whatever um uh, yeah He's, he's just an incredible dude, really. His plan had been to go from Fort William and cycle home via the four corners of the UK. Wow. <laughs> um, but he had some, some health problems that meant that right. that didn't happen. But, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, and it was the fresh air after all these, like, lycra-clad. Yeah, that's impressive, uh, that. And then that's, I think, where everyone would aspire to, isn't it, to be 60-odd yeah. and still doing Basically, things. Basically, I want to be like him yeah. in... 40 years absolutely in 40 yeah. years <laughs> how old are you <laughs> uh, i uh, uh what year is it i'm 33 <laughs> yeah it's amazing isn't it that that's that's the aim definitely i think all the records that you can do are fine but when you're older you still want to be able to go out and do the things that you love doing yeah. when, I, when i was septuagenarian i aspire to be sleeping in service station car toilets yeah. <laughs> brilliant uh, well, thank you ever so much, Ali, for coming on tonight. It's been amazing speaking to you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, we'll make sure there's a link posted up underneath the broadcast um, to your book so people can have a look at that. Um, any questions that people have, feel free to leave them in the comments and um, I will get back to you. Uh, so thank you very much, Ali. Um, and we'll just close things off. So good night, people, and thank you very much for joining us. Bye. Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. 
I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails.